Sorry I'm a few minutes late. I was working on, uh, <laughs> I make our own whole wheat sourdough bread. Whoa. I was in the middle of that process. <laughs> How long is that process? Two days. Okay, so <laughs> you are definitely in the middle of it then. This isn't a half hour and done kind of project, I see. No, not at all. Not at all. It's a process I started this morning at 8 a.m. It's a bit deceptive. I say two days. It takes two days to get the whole thing done. Uh-huh. But I started the 11 this morning at 8 a.m. Okay. And at noon, I started the auto lease. And then at 2, I got the auto lease mixed with 11. <laughs> I know this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, the, the lease. Mm-hmm. And then every 45 minutes to an hour or so, and it can go longer. It's really flexible. I go up and do what's called a fold. And I do that five times. And then at about six thirty, seven o'clock tonight, I'll do some shaping. Mm-hmm. I'll put it into some proofing baskets, put it in the refrigerator overnight, pull it out tomorrow morning, I don't know, 10.30 or so, 10, 10.30, and bake said bread tomorrow. And then we'll have wonderful whole wheat sourdough. You know, I just binge-watched the three seasons of Great British Bake Off that are on Netflix. Ever watch that show? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it's definitely on our, like, towards the top of our list for sure. It's such a good show because it's like the most British version of a reality TV contest possible in the sense that they're always, like, <laughs> helping each other and they're always so nice and they always feel so bad when everyone leaves. It just couldn't be less cutthroat, so it's kind of this perfect show to just watch <laughs> when you need something to do and to feel a little happy about life. But that show, obviously, they do a lot of baking, and I'd never heard of a proving drawer. It's proof with an F. Proofing? Proofing basket. Okay. And it's, it's, it would be a proofing drawer, yeah. And essentially all that means is you're letting it rise without disturbing it. So you have to, like, put it somewhere to do that? You can't just let it do it in the, in the kitchen? You can. I put it in the refrigerator because it slows it down. Because you have, you have to think about it. It's yeast. It's a living thing. And it's literally eating your dough. I mean, that's what it's doing. And the the bugs, as I like to refer to them, Gross. they move faster or slower depending on the temperature. Mm -hmm. So if it's super warm, like if somebody's in Southern California and they're baking the exact same bread that I'm making, it will go much faster and you need to use much less yeast in the process. Whereas for us, especially in the winter, it can literally take three times longer to do the exact same process as it does for us in the summer. So you really have to get a feel for it. Otherwise, it's either going to be flat because the yeast is eaten too much and it's gone too far by the time you bake it, or it's not going to rise enough because you didn't give it enough time. Very delicate balance. The judge of the Great British Bake Off, Paul Hollywood, will come to your house and say, what a shame. That's what he always says. <laughs> you would be surprised how many times I have failed in this process. <laughs> what made you start making bread? Uh, I read a book. Of course, it all starts with a book. It all starts with a book. What? Oh, shoot. What was it called? It's a Michael Pollan book. What was the name of it? Cooked. Yeah, that would make sense. Cooked. I read that book. Mm -hmm. And he takes you through the four fundamental elements, fire, water, earth, air. He takes you through each of those and how they have helped us evolve our process of cooking. And he learns how to do things like cooking a whole hog over an open fire and how to make a whole wheat sourdough loaf of bread. But it's a very entertaining journey and you learn a lot about how your food actually gets to your table. And here about a month ago, I finally got the the whole hang of it down. And now I can bake very nice 
whole wheat sourdough, loaves of bread. Makes me happy. For the whole family to enjoy. There you go. There's there, there's my bread history so far. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned something new today. I'm not just a tech nerd. <laughs> no, of course not. You are a bread nerd as well. Yeah, there's even a forum for it. Oh, God. Breadtopia. I'm a fan. Of course there is. There's an online community. Our last conversation kind of rocked me a bit. Yeah? I think you saw that I expanded on it a little bit on my blog, trying to kind of really consider what it means to have input as a, as a skill of mine and, and why exactly it is that I do want to collect all of the things and all the articles that I read and curate a perfect list of every book highlight. and Oh, a perfect list. Wow. A perfect list. Nothing less. <laughs> okay. So where has this led you? Well, it was, just, it was just good for me to reflect on it. I don't know if there is a answer, so to speak, about what to do or, or how to do it, but it is just, it's good. It's good to remember why you're doing a thing and and sort of your own makeup of how you're interacting with the world. I appreciated that last conversation, for sure. Yeah, I, I find that I run into tools and services that allow me to collect data, and I can't help but think of you when I run across those. And I haven't figured out <laughs> if I should share them with you or not. <laughs> yeah. You know how a lot of people talk about they spend too much time picking out a to-do list? Uh-huh. I feel that way sometimes about my own tools. In specific lately, I've been thinking a lot about the the way that I keep notes. Uh, not even so much that I need something better. I realize that it's really spread out where I use Apple Notes for basically every little daily thing and I also use it for a lot of routines that I have like I keep a little fitness log in there that helps me know what I'll be doing the next day at the gym. Uh, and then I have Ulysses, which is where I keep all of my long form writing. And then I also have day one, which is where I keep some journal entries. And having three apps feels like a lot for writing. And I know that people have even more. You know, some people incorporate, oh, what's that one called? A really good book writing app. Scrivener. Yeah. And then, of course, people use Evernote. And then you use drafts. I use drafts to capture things. For storage, I tend to just use like raw text files. Yeah, but what I meant is that's one more app to have on your phone. Oh, right, right, right. I got gotcha. you. So having three apps isn't really even that crazy, but still feels like, man, that's a lot. I wonder if I could consolidate this down. That's one of those things where I've probably spent more time in the last week or two thinking about text editors than actually writing in text <laughs> editors, which is never a great space to be. And then, of course, I don't know if you pay attention to it or not, but Ulysses this week made a move towards a subscription model. Yes, I saw that. Which some people got a bit worried about. For me, I think that's totally fine. I definitely understand the problem of having a one-and-done type payment system for apps. The other side of the argument is there's only so many apps that we can possibly subscribe to. And I know that my subscriptions are getting kind of heavy myself, but th that one feels worthwhile. So I wasn't trying to switch away for that, but it is always good to reconsider. Yeah, the subscription thing, at least in my opinion, you have to weigh what they gain you. Folks threw an absolute fit when Text Expander made that move. And I, I understand it. But Text Expander is one of those tools that saves me multiple hours in a week. So it's pretty easy for me to justify the 3 or $4 a month to get those few hours. I, I totally see that. Uh, something like Ulysses, although it intrigues me, the, the tool itself, because I'm not a user of it. We, we got into a conversation about this on um, the Productivity Guild, uh, which now has a pro section. I haven't told you that yet, Drew, but it has a pro section now. That's pretty great. There's a conversation about the subscription model thing and Ulysses specifically under that pro section. 
where we were talking about with this move, it means that Ulysses is now a tool that if you're going to pay for a subscription, it needs to be something that is one of your heavy hitters. That's right. And it's one that has intrigued me for a while. I've been looking for an alternative to um, Editorial, which is the app that I use to interact with all of my text files on my phone. Which hasn't been heavily updated lately, right? Yeah, and that's my problem. Because I know that Editorial does everything I need it to. I have zero complaints with that. And it's pretty powerful for what uh, for what you're getting there. My hang-up is that it really doesn't get much for updates. And when it does, they're few and far between. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just feel like it's always way behind. So it, it seems to eventually get the features that everyone else is getting. Just four, five, nine months later. Right. That can be a bit concerning sometimes. So I have considered a move to a different viewer for all of my text files. The tricky part here is that what I'm terming as a viewer essentially needs to be able to show me raw picture files, PDFs, and then allow me to edit text and markdown within it, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but is actually quite difficult to find one that does that well. Right. I've not even downloaded Ulysses on my phone to even try that. So I couldn't say, I don't have an educated opinion on whether or not it could do that. But it is one that's certainly on my radar and that I'm exploring. Do you know offhand how many subscription services you're paying for on a monthly or yearly basis? Uh, Right now, I think it's four. What are those four, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, Text Expander. Gosh, I'm not going to place them. I might have to look. I got a list of them somewhere. Maybe I can find it. Okay, so I've got Backblaze for backups. Mm -hmm. And then I've got Adobe, the Creative Cloud. Gotcha. That I'm running. Text Expander, as I mentioned. I haven't gone to upgrade it yet, but Dropbox is close to that list. I haven't made that jump yet. And 1Password is one that's very close to it as well. I haven't made that jump into their subscription thing yet either. But it's probably going to happen. It's likely to happen, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, the glaring thing here is no music subscriptions. Yeah, about to ask. That was that was what I was going to ask right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I've I've played around with that. The ads thing kind of drives me nuts. After a while, I simply haven't been able to discern where I want to go because my wife and I currently use Spotify heavily, and we really like that. But I also know there's a lot of perks to the Apple Music realm, but. I'm a bit gun shy on that because of the launch and everybody having all kinds of problems with it. Right. So I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger there. Can you point me in the right direction? You're you're a music fan. That was actually something that I just recently went through as well because I loved Apple Music since it came out. I still think it's a great product. I love it just for the fact that anything that's native on the iPhone just gives a better experience immediately. When you switch away from Apple Music to something like Spotify, you lose a few features like being able to scrub the song from the lock screen and asking Siri to play songs like those are exclusively Apple Music's territory. Unfortunately, I wish that other apps could use it, but they can't. That being said, I recently switched over to Spotify and I've really loved it because of my wife, Christine. I realized that we'd had an Apple Music subscription for months and she had barely used it. And she probably loves music more than I do. And I realized that she plays music more in regards to an atmosphere than like a specific song. I'm the kind of person that I seek out a very specific song or an album or something like that. 
but she like wants something for working out or something for driving or something for working. And Apple Music really doesn't have the greatest playlists when it comes to that kind of thing. Oh. And that is like Spotify's jam. Yeah. They have playlists for every possible situation. They have new ones all the time. They have the Discover Weekly feature, which gives you 20 to 30 songs every week that are entirely picked out just for you based on what you've listened to before. So I gave her Spotify for a week, and in that week, she probably listened to more music than she had in months with Apple Music. So I switched, and now we are Spotify <laughs> subscribers. Nice. Pretty happy with it. I also love that you can use it with an Amazon Echo. Ah. So I do that quite often. You can just say, hey, blank, <laughs> play Spotify Discover Weekly, or play so-and-so on Spotify, and uh, it'll it'll immediately start playing. And I use that often whenever people are coming over or just uh, when we're hanging out at the house. Nice. That's a good point because we tend to do the theme thing as well. Like, there's one, what is it called? Our Favorite Coffee House. That's the one we tend to listen to over breakfast because we're, you know, eating breakfast and drinking coffee. So <laughs> right. it's very fitting. Uh, so we do some things like that too. So that makes perfect sense. I am glad you mentioned that because that might help <laughs> me solidify where to throw the $100 or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where especially when you're setting up a subscription for yourself and others, I've always found it good to let the, the other people in the family test out those services before you jump all in. Yeah. Because that was kind of my mistake with Apple Music. I love it. And man, Beats One is such a great radio station. I really really, really loved listening to Beats 1. The problem is when you're up against an hour block of scheduling that you don't like. For every show I loved on Beats 1, there was a show I didn't love, and that's it. That's the whole thing. There's one channel. So until they come out with Beats 2 and 3 and 4, and I can switch back and forth between them, probably not going to do a whole lot of listening. But man, that's the feature I miss the most. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I know with... <laughs> With a lot of my subscriptions, I'm very picky with them. They're even ones that I just have had for so long, like I can't even tell you what they are. That's why I had to pull up my list of applications and run through them quick. That's what I'm paying for, right? Right. Because I couldn't find the list of things I'm paying for. The, the one that I know I need to upgrade and I need to do something about is cloud storage. This is one that I'm trying to nail down right now because I'm at a point now where I need to either upgrade Dropbox finally, or I need to move to say iCloud or maybe even Box. Like I need to make potentially one of these moves and go ahead and upgrade it. The problem I have with that is that Dropbox, although it seems to serve me really well, iCloud seems to be a little more ubiquitous. Right. And some of these other tools that tend to come out, you know, take Ulysses, for example, they tend to come out with iCloud support by default, <laughs> and Dropbox support is often default, but if it's not, it's secondary, and it comes later. And it's not really a problem per se, but with things like the file manager coming in iOS 11, it finally puts it in a place where maybe iCloud is the better fit there. So I, I know that I need to upgrade at some point. I haven't done the comparisons on how much storage do I get for the same amount of dollars. I haven't done that math yet. Maybe that would answer my question. But what do you what do you use, Drew? Do you have this solved for yourself or are you all over the place? Um, both. Yes. Yes to both questions. <laughs> okay. I have found myself using a mixture of Dropbox, iCloud storage, and... Google Drive for a long time. And that was really just because for years, the market kind of evolved in a way that 
you could use them all at the same time, or there might be somebody who uses one and you want to collaborate with them. For example, for years I was using Dropbox, and then when I got a job at the nonprofit and church where I used to work, they all used Google Drive. So I had to open up one of those accounts and and start using that. And then over time, I've just found myself relying less and less on both Dropbox and Google Drive because I guess I don't really need to share files as often as I used to. Like Joe, we put the files for this show in Dropbox. It's the only time that I ever open Dropbox anymore. <laughs> yeah. I've really just been using iCloud for the last year, two years, and I've been really satisfied with it. Every single time that I take photos, I dump those photos right into the photo app on the iPad, and I just let that be my online storage space, and it's worked out fine for me this long. I I'm pretty excited about the upgrades that are coming with iOS 11. I've been dabbling a little bit in the files app in the iOS 11 beta. And it's great because all of a sudden, here's a way to share files a little easier than it had been on iOS before. So that's where I am is iCloud Drive. Yeah, I was going to ask how you were syncing things across devices, because that's what I'm using Dropbox for, is getting things back and forth across devices, which is why like whenever I mentioned things like editorial and Ulysses, they would need to have that Dropbox support for me to get at my file structure <laughs> that I have built. Yeah. But it would not be a big deal for me to move that over to iCloud. The other thing I have to keep in mind is I am still very client-based. And although I'm working through ways to potentially change that, I am still in a spot where clients will very regularly share Dropbox folders with me. So I need to be able to, to... To receive them at the least, yeah. Yeah, I still need to receive them, yeah, for sure. I know it's not complicated for me to get close to a terabyte of cloud storage on something like that, which would mean it would overcome all of my devices pretty easy <laughs> as far as what they can hold. So I would never have to worry about it again. So I've considered iCloud heavily. Like that's probably the one I'm leaning towards, but I don't know. I just haven't nailed it down. I'm still playing with it. Yeah, and for me, the reason that iCloud Drive has worked so well is because I just really don't need to send things back and forth all that often. It seems like it's much easier now. I just open up the Files app on my iPad, open up a little document that's stored in iCloud Drive, and the first thing that I see down at the bottom is in the share sheet, it says add people. So we're getting there, right? We're getting to a, a better situation. Yeah. It's still a little different than like Dropbox where you can just kind of stick a folder in there and let somebody else have it, which I get why that's really important. So for that kind of stuff, I still find myself using Dropbox and Google Drive, but I've sort of set up my own life to just make sure that whatever apps I'm using they sync very easily between devices and that I'm never having to worry about things not showing up in a different place. And I really just don't like the whole interaction of having to email myself a copy of something or airdrop it or make sure that it gets from one place to the other. I just always want to make sure that it's as seamless as possible. So in that respect, iCloud Drive has been great. And they have, I think it's two terabytes for 10 bucks a month, which is pretty great. Oh, wow. In iOS 11, you can do family sharing. So... I have everybody on that two terabyte. It's not even close to being full, even though I've been putting huge, huge photos and tons of images in there for months or years now. So, I mean, that that's great for me personally. And then I'll, I'll sneak into my free Google Drive or Dropbox to send somebody files every now and then. So you guys do the family thing, because that's something I've considered. Yeah. And it's not a huge deal for us right now, but I have kids that are going to sneak into this at some point. Right. I'm aware of that. Now, I probably have a little bit of time before I get to that point, but 
not there yet. Because I thought it was 10 bucks a month for like 50 gigs or something, but they've massively changed that. They've definitely upgraded it. And being able to share it with your family is really great because that's where I was before as we were all paying $10 or $5 a month for little bits of data. And I really didn't want to upgrade my wife to the two terabytes, but the one below it was too small for her. So it was one of those weird things where the size differences were massive. And it was like, man, I just wish we could all share this together. And now we can. I just looked and I'm taking up about 400 gigabytes of the two terabytes personally. And then everyone else probably has 50 or maybe 20 gigabytes. Yeah. Uh, so that works out really well for me. Yeah. I was just looking up the Dropbox comparison, it's 10 bucks a month for one terabyte. Oh, really? So you literally get double for the same price. That's pretty crazy. It's not too common for Apple to be at the top of their game right. when it comes to storage space. Right. But here we are. They figured it out. I wish that we could stick a folder in the files app and share it back and forth between the two of us. But it doesn't seem like if that is possible, it certainly isn't easily like readable. Um, it's definitely not the intended use for now. Yeah, I'm exploring. <laughs> so here I am because I'm on my Mac. So I pulled up Finder and looked at iCloud Drive because I like never go in there. Uh -huh. Like this is not something I've ever jumped into. And here I am like, okay, so how would I share this with somebody? So there is a share button, but it doesn't let you like directly send it to an email address. Is that what you're talking about when it's not always that seamless? Yes, exactly. Okay. So can you just share a folder from that? I'm so new to the iCloud Drive thing. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do some research on this because this it looks interesting, but I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is going to be something that I'm going to have to play with because I also have like all of my email and stuff is run on Google. So I have the whole G Suite thing. So I have a decent amount of storage on the Google Drive as well. It probably wouldn't be a big deal to just start using that for sharing with people if this gets to be an issue. Right. All right. Mark that one. Hashtag follow up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the uh, topic of subscriptions, for me, I have that two terabyte storage space. And then I also have Spotify. I'm looking through them right now. Visco. I do an annual subscription to their Visco service because they give you some nice features for editing photos, which I really like. Adobe Suite, which I would love to eventually get rid of. I don't use it nearly as much as I used to. And I've really found myself kind of deeply embedded in Final Cut Pro 10 and Logic. So I don't even really need Adobe as much as I used to. It's really just Lightroom, which again, I've kind of taken to just having photos on the iPad be my space for editing photos and Visco to do the minor edits that I do. So I don't really know if I need Lightroom anymore either. And then Carrot Weather, which is, I think, just a pretty cheap annual subscription that lets me get some features on my Apple Watch for checking the weather, which they just made premium and I was happy to pay the, the little bit for it. Nice. I think that's it for me. Of course, Ulysses would be the one that would get added. And I think I'm okay with that. I wouldn't mind adding one more on there to do some word processing. I'm not using something like Text Expander, so I kind of have an empty slot there anyways. Got it. Got it. So how much how much is the Ulysses thing? Well, for people that have already purchased it, they're slashing it significantly. Okay. It was something like 20 or $30 a year. Uh, yeah, $30 a year. And that's 25% off. And that's really not bad. It's not so bad. Because I think that's roughly what Text Expander is. Yeah. Although I'm not doing a lot of it or haven't been, I'm starting to do a little more writing for Productivity Guild. Like I'm starting to pick up on some of that. I'm kind of exploring dropping some of my client work in order to take a full time and basically just move from multiple clients into one client. 
And all of the startup type scenarios where I'm looking for that would potentially want someone who could also write in some form, which this is the thing that's interesting to me. I'm a developer and yet it seems like a lot of these startups are starting to have like the developer's blog where they blog about how they actually built the tool. Right. That seems to be a thing that's growing, which is very interesting to me. So it's becoming a thing where whenever they're looking to hire you, they will ask the question of where's your blog and how comfortable are you writing about your coding process? Like that, those are questions that actually come up <laughs> in these conversations. So I, I just think it's very interesting. So all that to say, I'm potentially looking at some way to get deeper into my writing process again. So would you be interested in an app like Ulysses? Like to go work for them? Maybe. No. <laughs> I meant, are they hiring? <laughs> I meant changing up your workflow to kind of embed yourself deeper in, you know, writing on the daily basis. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. No, I would definitely look into that because it's, it's one that I've heard a lot of people talk about. And I know that it seems to do a lot of what I would be looking for. I haven't jumped into the the trial because I don't want to jump into the trial until I can really give it a run. And I'm overloaded right now, so I couldn't dedicate the time to it to explore it the way I would want to. I tend to time when I'm going to do my trials such that I can actually trial it. Right, yeah, that's an important part of it. It's always a bummer when you set up a seven-day trial and then go six days without using it at all. Right, or in some cases I've had clients who start a trial with their web hosting and they don't tell me that they started the trial and then they get upset when it expires before I can even start working on it. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> don't do this. Think about this first. Uh, that's, that's perfect. For me, Ulysses has been the right place to put all of my words. I really have been surprised at how much I love Apple Notes. It, it got even better with iOS 11 because you can pin notes to the top and do a few different things. And that's sort of become a catch-all drawer in the best sense of the word for writing different things down. But at the same time, I needed something that supported Markdown that really felt like a space for words and projects that are longer to live permanently. And Ulysses is great for that. They have so many cool little features I think you'd dig like the ability to have a little progress circle for every article. So you can set something like, I want this to be 500 words or about five pages or so on and so forth. And it'll give you this really minimal way of tracking that the entire time that you're writing. And features like that are pretty exceptional. And they've made me always love opening up Ulysses and getting some writing done. Definitely still my recommendation for people that are looking to write more on iOS especially. What what are your complaints with it? Like this is everybody likes to talk about the things they love about tools with like this, but it, it seems like the pain points are the parts I tend to be more interested in. Yeah, one of the things that I get kind of frustrated with every once in a while is this, and this is all as a primarily an iOS user, so this might not even be as bad on the Mac. Okay, but when you look at your folders and you click on the All button, which would allow you to see every single article ever written, it's actually extremely hard to figure out which folder that article is in. So there's some stuff that's been done in the name of being kind of minimalistic and fitting into the iOS 10 aesthetic that makes it like, man, I actually wish there was a little bit more information on this page. And then there are some weird dissimilarities between the way that hotkeys work, shortcuts work on iOS and Mac. So I kind of get myself in a groove of using these certain ways to like paste links and, and put links into the article. And then I go try to do that on the Mac and it doesn't work quite as well. So <laughs> that kind of stuff can get frustrating 
because of just those those little differences when you're in the zone. You don't want to be worrying about them necessarily. But beyond that, I mean, those are pretty minor. The, the rest of it, I really enjoy. They've made a very, very easy-to-use publishing system where you can automatically export whatever you're doing in Markdown or as an EPUB file or as a PDF or publish directly to a WordPress blog or to Medium. That's the stuff that really hooks me in because it just saves me a couple of steps that would have been very frustrating to deal with otherwise. It sounds like the the pain points are kind of nitpicky. Like yeah. you, you really have to dig for them. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I probably wouldn't have even thought about two days ago before I totally restructured my Ulysses based in part on some articles that Sean Blanc has been writing about Ulysses recently. And as I was trying to move a bunch of files from certain folders to other folders, I was thinking, wait, I actually can't tell where these files are originating from in the first place and getting kind of frustrated by that. You mentioned publishing services. Does it do? It's like Squarespace, WordPress, Medium. Does it do publishing direct to those? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, it has the ability to automatically add WordPress or Medium accounts. I think those are the only two they support. Okay. But I mean, that's a pretty huge swath of the web right there. Right. And yeah, you just put in your details. And then once you finish the article, you click share and then hit publish and it'll it'll publish it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I used that for a very long time. I just moved away from WordPress for one of the projects that I work on. And so that no longer functions, but the medium one, I mean, that's where extra textuals lives. And that's how I've been publishing everything from my iPad for years now. Nice. Nice. I didn't mean to go down a Ulysses trail today, but it's been on my radar lately. So I've been considering it. Yeah, definitely worth looking at. So you brought up Medium, and this is something I know you and I have wanted to talk about for a while, the pros and cons of Medium. Because I know that you've been running extra textuals on it for a while, and I remember you making that move and being super excited about it. Are you still excited about it? Because you've been there for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. So Medium was one of those those things, just like I'm talking about right now, so much of my digital life is about getting things out of the way that I don't like dealing with. And uh, when I started Extra Textuals, I put it on a WordPress blog, and I spent a lot of time making it look like I wanted it to and doing all this stuff. And that took longer than I wanted, but I was pretty happy with it. And then I tried to change a few things and found them a lot more difficult to change than I was hoping. And then stuff like Google AMP, is that what that one's called? The the instant pages for Facebook and Google and all of those started coming out. And I started trying to integrate that and found that to be very difficult. And then I'd try to publish an article to Twitter and find that the image was broken. And having to figure out how to fix that image was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. And it was just a lot of these little situations where I found myself spending time in the back end. And I'm just the kind of person that doesn't want to spend any time in the back end. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. If you can give me something that's pretty good and let me worry a lot less, I'm very, very happy to take you up on that offer. And that's what Medium did. Medium had been around for a few years by the time that I switched extra textuals over, but they had just opened up the ability to actually host your website in Medium. So the domain and the back end are all, in a sense, totally controlled by Medium. And that's great. I really loved it and just made publishing very easy. I think that it's a, a great look. I, I don't think that Medium's design has aged poorly. It still looks pretty, pretty great to me. And it just took away a lot of the worrying about the details that I had been spending a lot of time on before. So, yeah, that's great. The, the thing is, 
is that I found that Medium isn't a perfect fit for everything that I want to do. So sometimes I like posting little linked blogs or or very, very, very short articles where I'm just sharing something that I came across that I was very interested in. And that type of article, which is sort of the daring fireball-esque way of blogging, right. doesn't fit Medium. Medium doesn't really look great when you're just sharing a couple of words. And I've seen some people do that. I just don't love it personally. And it also is very, very image heavy. So if you're not planning on sharing images with every post, I think they just don't look too great because of that either. I ended up exploring a alternative for those kinds of posts. And I settled on Squarespace for that. Actually, I had been wanting to create a little home for myself on the internet and somewhere that I could kind of post everything like like this, like whims that work and uh, settled on Squarespace to do that. And then I set up a little secondary blog on that page that kind of shares everything that I'm doing around the web. So that seemed like a really good fit to me. But if I'm ever posting anything that feels long or that I really want to get a lot of eyeballs for, that thing goes on Medium. It goes on Extra Textuals. And I'm still very happy with it to this day. Nice. There's been a lot of debate about Medium and whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing. One of the things with what I do with client work is I tend to make recommendations more than I do anything else. So it, it ends up being important for me to know what a lot of these services are and where they are best suited. And I actually don't recommend Medium very often, but every once in a while I run across somebody who they just want to write an article and they want to kick it out once a week. And they're not super tech savvy. You know, WordPress is going to be overkill for them. In some cases, Squarespace is overkill for them. Right. And they just want to push something out. And that's when I'll send them to Medium. The complaint I have with doing something like that is I usually have to go set it up for them because it's not super simple if you don't understand domains how to get that set up. Uh, it, it takes a number of DNS records to pull that off. So, it, I mean, it's copy-paste, but you have to be comfortable doing that. And not everybody is. It's something where I've done it a number of times now, and I have a handful of clients who are on Medium, and they absolutely love it. And it, it seems to serve that really well. But the moment that they start wanting to, like, embed a contest or they want to share an ad or promote something, it tends to fall on its face pretty quick. If you're just doing articles and that's all you're ever going to do, it seems to do really well. The moment you try to step outside of that, then it gets to be a problem. Yeah, you're totally right. I think that's a, that's a great way of thinking about it. And I, I, I think I've seen that too. You're definitely right about the setup process. I'm not sure if I've ever seen anyone do domain linking that well because it just kind of is a <laughs> it's a challenging thing. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you ever use Hover, but Hover actually has a really great service these days where it'll basically do it for you. Yep. You tell Medium that you're using Hover, and you tell Hover that you're using Medium, and then they kind of just will will figure it out without your involvement. That kind of stuff is going to be very great in the future. But as of now, I mean, it's still kind of a bummer. Right. But it is one of those things where as long as you know a little bit about what you're doing. You can figure it out, and once it's done, it's done. You never have to worry about it again. That's kind of how I feel about the setup process. But yes, if you're trying to use Medium to turn it into something that it's not, ooh, God help you, because it isn't set up to do that. It's set up to be a blog. It's set up to be a place where you write words and you share those words. And I've seen a few people actually try to make like Medium their website, and I think that always ends up looking really bad because it isn't meant to be a website. It's meant to be a blog. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange thing. 
But at the same time, I think it's still a really worthwhile platform, exactly like you're saying. If you have somebody that you know that wants to start writing online but doesn't really know how to do it and doesn't really love the technical aspect of things, Medium is the place to be because it just takes all of the guesswork out of it, makes it very, very easy, and has a built-in community, which is one of my favorite things that I've interacted with a lot of really interesting people who have commented on my stories that I think I've just found them by reading stuff on Medium and then coming across my stuff. So whenever you have that ability to not only publish something, but publish it for eyeballs that you wouldn't have otherwise had. I mean, it feels like a no-brainer to me. That's a pretty good that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. I I don't run mine on Medium, of course. Right. The back end technical side is far from foreign to me. So I have zero issues dealing with a complicated back end. And it, it's just something that, you know, I, I tend to want to do some things in bed certain scripts, embed certain discourse forums so I can do discussions. Like I do all kinds of crazy stuff on mine. <laughs> See, so that's, I mean, that's the difference though, right? Is it seems like you, you really like that kind of stuff, right? Right. Well, I build this stuff. I mean, this is what I do. So, you know, mine's, mine's running on uh, Jekyll, if you're familiar with this one. Most people are not. Uh, Jekyll is a Ruby on Rails static site generator. So if you go look at my site from a code standpoint, just pull up, you know, Chrome and hit the inspector and look at the code on it, it's literally a static site. It's not using a server to generate that at all. Last time I ran the stats on it, my front page could load in like 400 milliseconds or something like that. It's like sub half a second is what it can load in because, you know, I can. And <laughs> it's raw HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. There is no server involved, just a raw file. That's all it is. Right. And that's, I mean, that's great. There's no doubt in my mind that if I liked that kind of stuff, it would be better to have independent setup. I wish that I did. I wish that I could build my own thing from scratch because that's why I ended up building a secondary blog because I thought, ah, there's a few things that don't fit medium and I want to put them somewhere else. And in a perfect world, I guess, they would all be in the same unified space. But I know that for me, it's better to have two different things, one of which is very easy to use and is the most commonly experienced part, and one of which is pretty easy to use and is less commonly used. So for me, someone who hates that kind of stuff, dividing it up and finding a compromise was the best. But yeah, if you like it, man, build it yourself and, and love it, <laughs> which yeah, you do. Which is, which is exactly what I've done. I mean, every line of code on my website I wrote, that's the way it is. But I'm a developer. It's what I do. Like even take Productivity Guild, like that thing runs on Discourse and every single customization I've written because... You know, I build for discourse primarily. So anytime I want something on that site, see, the, here's the downside of being a developer. If you come up with an idea for something you want your site to do, your first instinct is to go build it as opposed to go look for somebody who already built it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's empowering because you can go do what you want and you can always get what you want, but it's usually not time efficient to do it that way. <laughs> right. There might be a better use of that that building time. Right. Like I have a whole subdomain on my site where, that I use to connect APIs together where I run my own <laughs> stuff like that. Like, okay, this is awesome, but this is a huge time suck. It's a lot of fun. I should probably not do it that much, but that's what I do because I can. 
Right. And you know me. I mean, we actually had this recently. The only real experience that you have had with my inability to code anything. I showed you this great program that lets you clip audio and turn it into these little videos to share on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Audiogram. I love this little thing. Yeah. Audiogram. And it's it's one of these programs that's really, really incredible. Very, very rough. So rough you have to like open it from terminal rough. Very much out of my wheelhouse. And you can theme it yourself. And I was telling you that there was this this part of the the code that I just couldn't understand every single time that I tried to change like the font, it would break everything. So I basically had to kind of reverse engineer it and keep changing it little by little until it didn't break. And then I told you that whole story. And then like a day later, you came back and said, oh, by the way, just do ABC and you'll never have to deal with that again. Yeah, just add quotes to it. And you're good. Well, OK. <laughs> All right. Don't 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 out me like that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things where, it, you know, when I went to go set up Audiogram, it, it's a thing where. The the instructions I read through all the instructions on how to install it, and then I realized, oh, it's just a it's a Node uh, JavaScript package which I already had installed. I just had to add Audiogram to it, and I had it running in I don't know maybe five six minutes or something like that. But I already have the servers that are running on that. But I'm very familiar with running a local server, which is what that does to run. Mm -hmm. That's where I spend three fourths of my day is in local servers like that. So it was very second nature. And the theming part of that is using uh, CSS, you know, like uh, cascading style sheets formatting. Right. And if you do much development at all, and I know that you don't. <laughs> right. With the way that you input fonts, whether or not you put quotes around the name for the font or not changes how it searches for that font. And if you don't have the quotes, it could very likely not find it on your system, even though it's there. So it just kind of depends on how you're installing all of that. So for me, I'm looking at it and instantly see, oh, yeah, that's why that doesn't work. Like that was exactly what <laughs> went through my head. Right. But this is my world. This is what I do all the time. Like this is this is where I live. You asked me how to do something very specific in Medium. Drew will know it immediately, and I'll have to go figure it out for an hour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the thing, right, is there's only so many things that you can possibly be an expert at these days. So I'll be happy to be the expert at the things that I'm an expert at, and I will gladly refer to you for the things that I'm not an expert at. So we'll we'll, we'll balance each other out just fine, I think. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll trade services back and forth and be happy. So you would never end up using something like Medium, would you? Is there any part of you that ever considers you know, publishing articles on that? The only way I've considered using Medium is to basically market content. Mm -hmm. uh, I played around at one point with publishing my existing articles from my blog on Medium, so duplicating that content. Right. I played around with that simply to get the community aspect of it. I didn't really see much benefit that I got out of that because I already had a decent enough following on my core website that it was it was basically non-existent. I think I saw a 0.2% blip whenever I did that, and that was it. That was all I ever got out of it. Yeah. So, no, I don't I don't think there's ever really a scenario where I would use it as a core anything. Medium, like any internet social network, is fickle. And sometimes you'll publish something and it'll explode, and sometimes you'll publish something and it'll fizzle. It just depends on so many variables that you can't possibly imagine. Right, right. So I'm not I'm not surprised that, you know, every once in a while publishing isn't going to get you too much. It's, it's definitely not like a guaranteed audience. But the fact that it does come with an audience is pretty nice if you're going to use the platform. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I know that there's a lot of scenarios where I could see 
trying it at least and and playing around with it but at, at this point in the game i've got enough of a following online that trying to use medium to gain a following doesn't make sense yeah if i published out there all the time i could see maybe having that grow over time but i, I don't have a need to do that if i'm talking to somebody who's brand new and they want to get into writing and they're trying to build an audience from nothing that i could see like if i was starting from absolutely nothing that i could see that as a place to start right and, and having maybe a subdomain off of it for all the other pieces that i wanted or using that on a subdomain just having it blog dot whatever and, and running a main website off of wordpress or something i could see that and that's what i do for some clients quite a bit they have a core website on wordpress or you know big commerce or whatever their uh, commerce site of choice is and then we use blog as a subdomain and run it on medium so we do that on occasion and then it's just articles and that's all you have to do which works out great for building an audience in that way so yeah i can see some benefits in doing it that way if i was if i had a startup of my own in some way i would maybe consider doing that same process but for me personally i just don't see it what was your first online blog? Where was that hosted? And how many years ago was that, do you think? Oh, gosh. Uh, it was on WordPress is where I started it. Okay. Like most, it seems. Uh, and that was, gosh, when was that? That would have been 2012. Okay. Five years, four or five years ago, something like that. That makes sense. That fits you. Well, and that was before I really got heavy into web development. That was when I was just getting into it. And I chose WordPress because it was the most popular. My thought was, if I ever want to build for something like this, this is a good place to go because there's such a huge market for it. Mm -hmm. And since that time, I have learned that trying to get into the WordPress market was a terrible idea because there's such a huge market for it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Is that, is that a surprise? No, not now. At the time, I was kind of shocked by it, but now I'm looking at it thinking, what on earth was I doing? So That's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how you learn and grow. Mm -hmm. For me, it was um, Blogspot. Oh, yeah. And it was all the way back in 2007, 10 years ago now. I had a blog spot where I basically realized my love of extra textuals. Yeah, I would do little blog posts on pieces of art that I loved or, or songs that I loved, which really eventually inspired the, the blog that I still maintain today. So I am nothing if not consistent <laughs> in my writing subjects. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I played around with uh, a number of things. I was on WordPress up until two years ago, and I was trying to figure out... I, I wasn't liking Bluehost is where I had my site hosted. I just didn't like them uh, for a number of reasons. So I was looking to move that, and my thought was, if I'm going to move this, this would be a good time to change blogging platforms. And I've been a follower of Brett Terpstra for quite some time. Right, right. Uh, he develops the Marked app. So he moved over to Jekyll some time ago and made the exact transition I was looking at was from WordPress over to Jekyll. So he did that exact thing. And I was starting to get into Ruby on Rails at the time and thought this would be a really good way to learn this. And that's what I did. I jumped in. I recreated a lot of the WordPress theme that I had by hand just so I could get it moved over, created a subdomain on my domain and use it as a testing ground and then formally cut over once I had it all in place. So that's what I did. 
it's kind of funny to me that we both still, the roots of what we still like today are pretty evident from the very beginning. Yours was a bit back-end heavy, and my use of Blogspot was a bit front-end heavy. Yeah. Hey, man, we're, we're, we're going down the road that we paved for ourselves long ago. <laughs> I wonder where they lead from here. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Who, who knows? I just hope Medium sticks around a bit longer than Blogspot did. Blogspot's <laughs> still, yeah. I mean, still exists, but I don't think that anyone's given it some TLC for. But move, yeah, I just, I just loaded it up, and it's, it's not so hot. What's the, what's the other one? There's another. What is it? TypePad that's out there. I don't know if that one's still around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that still exists. I haven't really heard a whole lot about that recently. Yeah, it probably sticks around primarily for Seth Godin. <laughs> oh yeah, he's on TypePad, isn't he? Right. Yeah, every time that I load up his blog, it is uh, definitely. A product of a different age of internet development. <laughs> Stick to the right-hand side of the screen and you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is a thing, too, is the internet is constantly changing. And I, I know myself to know that I will be very frustrated if I don't keep up with the times, but also very frustrated if I'm the one that has to keep up with the times. This is why Squarespace and Medium are such great solutions for me is because They've proven over the years to constantly be iterating, constantly be developing and updating both the site itself and the tools in which you you use to create. And I don't have to do any work. So they'll support all the features that I need and they'll let me just do the thing that I want to do. Yeah, I, I play around with some of the new stuff all the time. And of course, you know, I do web development, so I have to pay attention to these trends very closely. I used to tell people that we should rebuild their website every four or five years because hmm. they, you know, designs and everything move fast enough that within that time frame, you should really think about re redesigning or trying a different platform in that time frame. And I would say that's still true, but I think it's getting to where it's about every three at this point. It's getting faster. Right. And you'll see sites that do complete revamps roughly every two to three years, it seems like. Right. And I, I haven't figured out if that's because they're doing so much more like they're adding offerings they've changed the direction of the business so it's better to redo the website at that point like i could see some of that coming into play and that may be a product of technology making things more available and making things easier to get into obviously it's all going to be interconnected but it, it just seems like web design and what we use for systems because you can get in and out of them so easy and migrate typically it's very easy to jump from thing to thing which means we tend to do it more frequently yeah i think you're right it's a moving target anything online (laughs) to be honest (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's going to change anytime soon either no and this is this is exactly why i tell people launch it like don't don't spend too much time trying to figure everything out just get it launched because you're going to spend too much time trying to figure out what platform to use. And by the time you figure it out, the the hot thing will be something new. Totally. Just find the one that does the right thing. Get it launched. You can typically migrate it later. If you can't do it easily, you can find somebody that can get it done regardless. So for all of you listening that have not launched something, Joe? Get it out there. Go. <laughs> okay, good. Good. <laughs> 